Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, here we are again, Sunday night, April 10th, 2022. Sitting at 10 o'clock at night, as it usually do. I had a plan, so I just wrapped up the first uh, hunt of, our well, our, our first turkey hunt out here. And as typical, it's always a youth hunt that we start off with. And I was going to, and I, I mean, I will. I, I, the original plan was to just focus, you know, solely on that youth hunt, um, and just give you an up, update of what's going on, and just as far as turkey behavior and what's what we're see, what I at least I'm seeing in my area here in Northwest Kansas. But as it usually does with me, I completely derailed myself. Oh, by literally inadvert. I mean, I didn't even realize it. Watching the series finale of Ricky Gervais' show called Afterlife. And, um, oh, I'm going to apologize right up front if I get choked up and, uh, can't get through. I mean, like, oh golly, it's I'm, I can feel it coming now, man. That show just wrecks me. I'm not. I'm just. Let's just. Let's just put it right there. It just flat wrecks me, man. It just. Oh man, it's it's a show that uh, I was not expecting. It was. So. My daily schedule. So Kelly and I know. Jeez, oh, there's a lot there. <clears throat> with Kelly's work, what she's doing, and what I'm doing. Yeah, we live in the same house. Yeah, she works from home, but she's busy, and I'm busy, and I've got stuff to do on the field, and she's busy in the office with meetings and teams and everything else. And So, unlike what it used to be when Kelly and I started role ecological services back in the day, I mean, we were working 24-7, um, with each other. I mean, we actually made it, it was a joke between us that we'd go to a restaurant and sit out to eat and we wouldn't say a thing. I mean, here we are sitting in a, in a restaurant. We I mean, hardly say anything. We just sit there quietly and just eat. And we knew for a fact that it, we just, you could look at, you could just see people every now and then. And, and this went on, this is for, oh man what 15 years pretty much that you could just sit and watch people look at us and and just wonder like here's two people sitting across from another one another in a restaurant in a booth and, and they're just not talking so is there something going on well most of the time no it just our business we were doing the business row ecological services together i mean we were literally we we were the team you know some days i would have a i would have my truck fully loaded with equipment and i'd be going off and doing my own thing and she'd be with her truck fully loaded and she'd be off doing her own thing you know surveys or you know you know whatever management stuff whatever we were doing but in many cases if we were doing an active project it was her and i um Every day, I mean, wildlife, that's the thing, wildlife work, especially in the private sector, 
um, and depending on how uh, private companies structure themselves. But for us, when we were doing active trapping and, and management, wildlife doesn't have a nine to five Monday through Friday. They don't have they, they don't have a clue in the world what the the Julian calendar is. They they have no idea what a holiday is. They don't know what a weekend is. They don't know what after work means. And so it's twenty four set. I mean, it's sun up to sundown, or th- or many cases, you know, before sun up and after sundown, seven days a week. And it and depending on when the when the you know the client needed projects done and and what project needed to be done, you know, some of these projects were several weeks in length, and it was just a nonstop seven days a week for three four weeks at a time uh, or more just a grind. And so if you're sitting in a truck with with someone 24/7, you've talked about it. You you've covered it. So yeah, when we go to the restaurant there wasn't really much to talk. It was we we were taking a quick break to grab something to eat. We wanted to eat something decent and uh so not more, you know, not fast food and so We'd go to a, a decent restaurant, sit down, and, and eat our meal in silence, and then get up and leave because we'd go either go to bed or go back out to the field and continue. So now we have a different life, you know. Now here, living in Northwest Kansas, I'm doing my thing with the landowners and the and the hunting and the the wildlife management. Kelly is is working for the Federal Small Business Administration as an attorney, and she's working on projects there. And I mean, it's literally ten to fourteen hour days, and seven. Or sometimes it's seven days a week, but a lot of times it's six days a week. And so she's got a, a solid work schedule. So the only time we really get to sit down and, and spend time together is either in her breaks or when I'm at the house here, you know, doing stuff during her breaks, and then you know when she's done in the evening we'd sit down for dinner and we'll and we do we sit down in the in the living room at the coffee table we eat dinner and we watch you know one of our whatever show that we're into at the time we sit down and watch it well we had stumbled upon you know it was one of those low and we don't have network tv we just have netflix and amazon and hulu and like a lot of a lot of you do and so when we find a good show we end up binge watching it and we stumbled upon Ricky Ricky Gervais' uh, Afterlife when it first came on, and and you know say what you will about Ricky Gervais, you know I I have got a this this show especially um, absolutely I'm not I can't say I, well no I. I'm wrestling with whether it changed my mind about who he was or if it really just um, gave me a deeper understanding of who he was. And I and I and I, there's a difference there. And and I don't know. I I don't. I just really don't know where that lies for me because you know Ricky Gervais came on the scene and in as just, as a stand-up comedian and and he would you know you see some of his specials and you see some of his comedy routines and and he's funny as freaking hell freaking hilarious but there was a time there when he also started spouting off you know some of the political stuff and some of his value sets and ideology and in it and to be honest it did not jive with what i uh value as a as a constitutional conservative minded individual that believes in you know that rugged individualism and and um 
liberty and all that type of stuff. If you you know, it, it kind of seems cliche these days, um, kind of like right wing cl- cliche, but it is what it is. I mean, and so he had some different statements and different value sets, and um, ma- you know, made some jokes and made and came out with on positions of some things that you know kind of turned me off. And back then, you know. And I, and I'll just put up right up front. I was wrong. I I, I back then I, I it's not that I took offense to it, but I, I didn't like it, and I was like, screw you, piss off, you know, f you, whatever, you you know, British piece of blankety blank, and and I I kind of dismissed him. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. As a lot of us do. I mean, as this is. I mean, now it's become the in vogue thing as far as cancel culture to take it to the nth degree. But there was a time and, and maybe even you might be there right now where you, you, you hear someone, you like someone. Let, let me just put it this way. The rock, uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, he, when, when he threw, when, when it seemingly, seemingly threw, um, Kevin Hart under the bus. It completely changed my idea and attitude about Dwayne Johnson, and, and to where even right now I'm like, I just, I I can't enjoy him the way that I used to enjoy his work. It just, it just, it 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 was, it was one of those statements. It was a, an action that an individual takes that can absolutely change the trajectory on what I value or how I perceive them, and so. Ricky Gervais started out as somebody I I just I, I loved and I laughed, but it was just superficial love and laugh. He made some statements that I didn't like and, and that I that were that went against my core. So I was like, "Well, screw you, piss off! I'm going to reject you. I'm going to I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to pay attention to you anymore." Um. But then came the Oscars when he hosted the Oscars, and. He turned around and absolutely just lambasted, just roast, just 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 crushed it, and it, where a lot of the all of a sudden, the statements that he had made that were you know maybe perceived to be anti quote unquote capitalist or anti American, if you, let's just put it that way, anti American, if you will, or anti liberty or however you want to put it. All of a sudden, that just went away because he just crushed the liberal elites, the, the the Hollywood actors, and just put them in their place in a way that a lot of people in the 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 working class person, I think you could say, would love to have done or or has always thought. And that's the beautiful thing about comedy. Um, I, again, I know I I will always qualify this and apologize. I'm not going to apologize, but I'm just going to point out. What I will point out the, the things there clearly I know, and I know I referenced Jordan Peterson a lot, but I think it was one of the conversations that he was having. Maybe it was with Joe Rogan. Maybe it was I, th- I think it was another um, thinker. I, I don't remember who it was, but basically talking about why certain comedians are successful and, and why the the human species embraces comedy and, and and especially very intelligent comedy um, so well and it's because you can a comedian can absolutely cut straight to the core of the most ugly and dark aspects of the human experience 
and bring it straight back. All that stuff that we want to bury in the closet. All that stuff that we want to sweep under the rug. All that stuff that that is just ugly. The, the Just the ugly reality. The truth that lies deep. That it's not polite to talk about or it's not in vogue to talk about or it's not socially acceptable to talk about. It's not woke enough to talk about it these days. It's stuff that gets buried, but it's stuff that we all feel, we all think in some way, shape, or form that we know to be to be real in some sense. Deep down in there, they're able to, a, a good comedian, an intelligent comedian can bring that stuff to the surface, throw it right in everyone's face and expose it in a, in a humorous way where it exposes the truth, it calls out a, a lie or it calls out a hypocrisy, it calls out a double standard, it calls out your wokeness or, or whatever in a way that we can all personally identify with and just find un- everybody who laughs at it, it finds unity and it's like okay I'm, I'm not that was pretty dark and twisted or that was pretty raw and and I laughed because it resonated with me but so did the other 30,000 people in this room or, or 10,000 whatever how many other people are in the in the in the theater or the stadium or whatever they, they can reach these universal truths that are dark and ugly and bring them forward or, or embarrassing or shameful or whatever you want to say. They're, they're the things that might be unpopular, but they bring them forth in a way that we, because we all share it, we all feel it, that we can all laugh, we can all look at that ugly thing. We can stare right at it and then still laugh and know, okay, it was a joke. We know it's true. We know it's inconvenient. We know it's 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 not it's it's not right, so to speak. But we laugh because there's there's a there's a value set there. There's a there's something intrinsically innately right with it uh, within our psyche, and that's the beautiful thing about um, good comedians. And 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 I'm, this came to me and because I was talking to a friend earlier. And, and I'm not putting myself in that same category, but I, th- I think the reason why some people have been enjoying my recent podcast as much as they have is because there are certain things that I've been talking about lately that I'm going to yank that skeleton out of the closet. I'm going to throw it in, in, into the middle of the room and we're going to look at it. Um, I'm going to take that rug. I'm going to, I'm going to walk up to the corner of it. I'm going to flick that thing back and I'm going to, I'm going to expose the, all the dust and the dirt and the grime and the hideous that we've swept under the rug. And, and many of you have been walking around that damn rug. You've been tripping over the lumps and the clumps and everything else that has been stuffed under the rug. You've been sick and tired of having to trip over that in the rug. You've been sick and tired of having to go walk around that that we've swept under the rug. You're, you're tired of the fact that you can no longer hang your jacket in that closet because it's so full of skeletons and, and all sorts of other bullshit in there to where it's, it's refreshing to finally have someone willing to say enough. Um, and, 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 and calling some of that stuff out. And so, uh, 
again, I, I go back to to Gervais and I liked his comedy. I didn't like what, you know, maybe some of the things he said that I disagreed with. And because at the time, I, I mean, I will own myself that I was emotionally immature. Well, I don't, is it emotionally? I don't know. Uh, I just, I, I don't know what, I don't know what maturity is. I just wasn't mature enough to be able to understand that I can disagree with someone vehemently. And still respect them. Or or at the very least, I can still enjoy what it is that they bring to the table in in whatever well maybe it's a limited form. Maybe it's maybe that's maybe if I if I knew Ricky Gervais, I, I would have no use for him whatsoever. We wouldn't get along and, and it would just be a train wreck, but I like him for his comedy and, and what he can do, or when he when he when he was just in my mind, just a comedian and made me laugh. So I'm at I'm I'm a different person than I was a few years ago in the fact that I'm okay with the fact that maybe he doesn't agree with everything that that or every value that I have. He doesn't hold the same values that I have and he doesn't agree necessarily on everything that I agree on or I I believe. And for me now that's okay. Um, I know a lot of people, same thing with like the, the Tom Hankses and the Brad Pitts and everything else. No, do I do I give a rip about what they say politically or anything? No, I, I really don't care. And at the, there was a time where I'd say just, and I've, I've talked about this before, about, you know, just, no, dance, monkey, dance. I, 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 don't, I don't care about what you think. I don't care about who you are. I just want you to get up on that stage and I want you to perform for me like the dancing monkey that you are. That's wrong. Um, I don't. I don't have to uh, value what their value set is. I don't have to uh, agree with their uh, value sets and opinions and everything else. But it's it's wrong for me to dismiss them as a human being and as an individual that has values that wants to voice those values on on a public stage. Go for it. Fine. And quite honestly. I'm at the point now where I, I, I welcome that and I want to hear it because I want to know where they stand and I want to be able to just intellectually go to battle with it and and wrap my own head around uh, maybe a different viewpoint or, or maybe what some people say. There's a lot of, trust me, I, I, there's a lot of people I disagree with and, and, I, and I don't like what they have to say, but at least being able to hear them speak, again, especially when we're talking about these days with social media just in different platforms just absolutely suppressing access to differing opinions access to um, actual knowledge factual information simply because it goes against a prescribed narrative um, now I have a different value set I, I have a different perspective on individuals and their um, their value if you will from a their craft versus B who they are as an as an individual person and a human being. So <clears throat> I say all that anyway. I, I again I started off liking Ricky Gervais for his comedy, and then then he, I didn't like him because of what he said. And then all of a sudden he comes on the Oscars and he just flat just crushes it, just just crushes it perfectly. 
to where I'm like, oh, I let, you know, you know, immature me, you know, just shallow me. I'm like, oh, I like him again. Well, why do I like him again? Well, because he's saying what things that I like and the things that I agree with. Excuse me. Well, that's, that's not why you should like someone. <clears throat> but regardless, he put it, it put Ricky Gervais back on my radar screen of someone to pay attention to or to look at. And so when Afterlife came on, we gave it a we gave it a watch. We gave it a listen. We gave it we gave it a, a, an episode or two. And man, I'm not going to lie to you. And, and you can talk to Kelly. I don't know what it is about that show. I can't articulate it. I think you have to watch it for yourself because it's going to speak to everyone differently. But I don't, I don't know what it is. But for however he puts things together, and the characters he puts in 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 front of you and develops in front of you, and their life struggles, um, how he makes them human, and just exposes the raw just tragedy of life, not. That show wrecks me. I mean, like, season one and season two, absolutely, every episode just flat wrecked me. I'm I'm a basket of tears at the end of it. Like, I'm washing my face when we're done watching TV for the, I, I, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just, tears are, they're just flowing. I can't help it. It's, it, it just, it just wrecks me. And so here we are in season three, finally. And yes, I'm a fan, but I don't. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not a fan geek, so to speak. And where I'm, I'm already preemptively looking up all every episode and what's the season doing and what the character. No, I just, I just watch the shows as they as the episodes come on. I watch them, or you know, I or we, as we go through the list, I'll watch them. You know, Kelly and I will sit there eat dinner. We'll watch two or three episodes. She's got to go to bed because she's got to get up cracko stupidly early. I'm taking care of other things. I like to work a little bit later at night. So we go to bed at different times. But we, we share that moment of where we sit there and we uh, engage uh, each other watching one of our favorite shows. And she'll tell you, I, I'm i just waterworks on like every episode. But I don't spend time looking ahead and, and anticipate what's going to happen. And so here we are tonight. We get to the series finale of Afterlife. And, you know, as the, as the, as I'm getting cl- as we're getting closer to the end of the series, you know, I, this is one thing that drives, you know, everybody knows this in life. you got those people, you got those friends that you'll watch a, a movie and, and they'll call out what, oh, I, he's going to do this. Oh, they're going to do that. Oh, this is what's going to happen. You know, you see things unfold and you kind of predict what's about to happen. The good shows are the, I mean, I can't say the good shows. In some, sometimes the, the most satisfying thing for the show to do is to do exactly what you predicted it to do. You know, you're watching some suspense thriller or some, you know, horror movie or whatever, and invariably the, the bad guy pops out, the 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 good guy or slash victim 
you know, react some way. And, you know, intrinsically, we like, like just freaking pull the gun up and shoot the guy in the face. And invariably, no, it doesn't happen. The guy turns around, they, they try to take two steps, they trip and fall. Of course they trip and fall. And then the bad guy or the evil thing gets them and, and devours them. You're like, dumbass, what? Just... Why were you, you know, we sit there and we, we criticize the, the character. We, we, we criticize the plot. And we're like, you should have done X, Y, Z. Obviously, if they did X, Y, Z in the beginning of the series, there would be no series. There would be no movie. There would be no, I mean, obviously it would just end. You know, it just, so sometimes you want that plot twist. You know, you, you need that plot twist to where something happens. Sometimes, but I, I, I'm, I'm rambling, but no. Sometimes you sit there and you see what's happening and what's going to develop, and you're like, ah, I can predict that. This is what he's going to do. This is who they're going to. And there are times when that is entirely satisfying, when your prediction, your call out, is exactly what they do. You know, because because you, you, you obviously you're in tune. You know, you you've got it figured out. But there's other times when the the beauty of a good show, a good movie, is it throws a twist in there that you were not expecting, and just turns everything on its on its head. So storylines and and movie, de, you know, character development and the, and the story development through a, a, a show or a movie or whatever can can take different directions. But as this series was wrapping up and again I had no idea tonight was the the tonight's episode was the um last episode the series episode or series finale I'm looking at him like oh he's gonna he's gonna do this and he's gonna do this and he's gonna do this well sure enough he does all those things but then it just it just continues to where it's like oh shit oh no wait wait a minute no, he's doing all those things, and this thing's wrapping up. I mean, like, there's there's tidy little bows getting tied to all these main themes and main threads and these main characters to where you're like, oh, shit. And the, the last scene, as he walks away, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to spoil it for you because I want everybody to go watch it. If you have not watched Afterlife, I want you to go watch it. So I don't want to spoil anything, but as he walks away and all of a sudden you realize seasons are changing and things are wrapping up, you know, again, um, I was already a basket case. This, the, the season, so season one, every episode wrecked me. Season two, pretty much every episode wrecked me. Not everyone, but like most of them. Season three, the first one started out, and I was like, "Huh, this is kind of interesting. It seems different. It wasn't, it wasn't as deep. It wasn't as as emotive. It, 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 I mean, it wasn't bringing out the, the emotions that I, that the other seasons were. And then, like, really quickly, right at the end, I mean, it just flattened me. And so, all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, Kevin Hart. You know, in his comedy series, he wasn't ready, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready, he wasn't ready. I was not flat out ready, man. I was not ready. All of a sudden, the last, and they wrapped it up with the song, uh, Joni Joni Mitchell's song, um, Both Sides Now. And man, it is... 
it's an incre- it's an incredibly deep song. And they did such a freaking masterful job at just seeding the idea of that song in the beginning of the show in a purely organic and natural way. And I, I looked at Kelly and I'm like, I know that song. Why do I know that song? I know that song. That's a good song. I know that song. What is that song? I know that song. Why do I know that song? And then they finished the the, the show with that song and it just... I was done. I was done. That series, for me, and I think what I want people, and the reason why I'm talking about it, is because, again, I I just wrapped up our first hunt out here. 2022. Turkey season here in Kansas, the row hunting resources. And I always start off our season with a youth hunt. And I freaking love our youth hunts. And and that's what I wanted to talk about tonight for the whole thing. But then I hit the series finale of finale of Afterlife and I'm just a blub I'm just a freaking sobbing mess and listening to that song by Joni Mitchell both sides now and for me um which one is it hold on here's to the ones who work smarties what the heck what in the world anyway i was i had it i brought it up i was doing some little bit of research on youtube before uh i kicked this thing off because i wanted to look at a couple of things um I'm trying to. I'm trying to. That the song has got multiple versions, and the version that I really like is. Hold on. Ah, the 2000 year. The year 2000. Uh, the version of that song was phenomenal. Um. It it just it it was just incredible. Um. And that's the song that they used at the end of the end of the show, and it just really it it actually set this discussion up with the youth hunt. Just as far as my my value set around our youth hunts, perfectly, because the show afterlife is about a a guy that that meets. His soulmate, his life's partner, and they have this just incredible marriage and, and relationship. She develops breast cancer, and she loses her battle with breast cancer, and he's left alone. And all he has is the all of the videos that he took, they took that she gave, that she recorded for him, and and so he's literally at as as deep a despair as you can imagine, suicide, uh, literally suicidal. And all he can do is just sit and watch what they had. 
remember what they had and long for those days you know back when when what they had and then struggle to put the pieces together and, and figure out a reason to actually go on and the song both sides now again it's Joni Mitchell it was recorded originally I think the late 60s um, and then again they like I said they, they she did it or they she whatever did a, another version of it in 2000 more contemporary version of it but what's brilliant about it and what really I think hit home for me and why I love my youth hunts our youth hunts that we do is because with age and I'm not I know I'm not that old but I've I've reached a point where um dog I'm seriously going to try to not to do okay so I'm going to I'm going to just yeah it just it was what it is <clears throat> the beautiful thing about youth and being young is for many people you have not gotten to the point yet where you have to say goodbye to things people life events that were significant to you uh-huh the the in it, it's it's funny you know again Again, good comedy. Some of the be- in the office, and I, and I I don't know if this is where it came from, but but one of the characters from the the TV show The Office said, um, I think it was from The Office. I'm pretty sure it was from The Office, or either that, or it's from uh, Modern Family. I don't remember. Now that I'm I'm doubting myself, but regardless, the statement is is. I wish there was a way to know when you were in the good old days before you've left them. When I was younger, I know for a fact I was not aware I was in the good old days when it came to certain events um, and certain relationships um, in my life. And it wasn't until they were gone that I realized it and then the value for it was it was evident and i don't care if it's a a pet i i i can look at at mickey uh our uh, kelly and i when we were married we bought our first we bought our first house and as we were moving, we decided we, I, I, I'm, I'm the one who decided I, there was a kitten that entered our, had the opportunity to enter our life. And the little voice inside my head said, take him. 
and I did. I mean, I remember the. I remember where I was standing. I remember the moment vividly in my mind. I will never ever forget it. I re- I remember everything about it. And for some reason, the little voice in my head was like, "Take him, take him, take him," to where it was just loud enough to where I, was, I couldn't. I couldn't ignore the little voice in my head. And so, the woman who was boarding our horses when we were getting ready to leave. Here she is holding this little tiny, I mean, this tiny, this kitten could fit in the palm of your hand. He literally would crawl into Kelly's slipper, into the toe of her slipper and curl up. We had we had no idea where he was. We'd have to go search for him and we found him, this is later, but we found him in the toe of her slipper. He was so tiny. Called him Mickey. Because we had just got done watching, uh, the movie Snatch with Brad Pitt and the main character in there was Mickey which he was a, a a gypsy fighter guy and he just he was full of just pits and vigor and wanted to fight and we mar- we brought Mickey home as this tiny little kitten that could sit in the palm of your hand and at the time in, in Colorado the house we had was bigger than what we needed so there was actually this this you know you walk in the front door you immediately come into this, you know, great room, this, this entry, this big room, vaulted ceiling, big wall, blah, blah, blah. So I had all my elk on the wall, sheep, big orange sheep in the corner and black bear. I I had the, my bear rugs on bear rugs on the floor. And, uh, it was a beautiful trophy room. It was just a, it was a beautiful entryway into the house so we walk in the house. I set Mickey on the on the floor, and the reason why I call I named him Mickey was because I set this little kitten on the floor, and he immediately sees the bear rug, and it's a big bear. I mean, it's a six six foot eight inch or six no, what is he? Yeah, he's six eight, uh, big blockhead, gi- giant bear, five hundred thirty some pound bear, five hundred yeah over 500 pound bear that big big bear big bear rug he sees that bear rug and he just puffs up arches his back tail straight in the air and rather than running you know puffed up like defensive and rather than running away because he's scared that little shit just bounces over there all cocky just bounces sideways and if anybody has a cat and watches cats play and, and fight or whatever you he just he 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 arches up, you know, your typical Halloween cat, you know, scaredy cat stance, puffed up, tail straight up, arched back. He bounces sideways right over to the face of that of that black bear and just bat and just just smacks the black bear face. It just smacks him in the face with his paw. Like he gives zero shits, man. He zero. And it just reminded me of that character Mickey in snatched where he just he didn't care he just wanted to fight everybody little did i know that 15 years you know through 15 years that cat that little shit was man he's he 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 was the shit man he was he was my buddy we said goodbye to him uh hell (laughs) <clears throat> doesn't seem like it's some days it seems like forever ago and then other days it just seems like not too long ago but <clears throat> he got cancer and we had to put him down and it sucks because it you just took somebody that was a part of your life for 15 years and said goodbye that's a stupid cat 
those of you know and, and listen, you know that you followed, you know Annie, my horse, my pack horse. You watch the videos on YouTube. You watch me packing out my elk with with my sorrel mare there. I we bought her when I bought her when she was 18 months old. This ugly duckling. I remember. I again, it's one of these life-changing things where you when you you don't know that you're in the good the in the in the the good old days until they're 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 gone. I remember looking at this horse and I don't I don't know why, but the little voice was like, Yeah, buyer. She's the one. Buyer. Six hundred bucks. We bought this little girl for six hundred bucks. Eighteen month old little filly. Six hundred bucks. I remember experienced friends friends, friends of ours who were experienced horse people. Uh, trail riding people, packing people, telling me biggest mistake I'll ever make. <clears throat> Don't buy that horse. <clears throat> she was an absolute ugly duckling. Big ugly duckling. Big old honking neck. Big old neck. Or big old honking head. Big neck. And then these spindly little legs and this wee, wee little back end. And she just seemed, she just, she was this ugly duckling. Of a little filly. But it was my first horse. And I was going to train her. I had no experience. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But hell, I was in college. And, and yeah, I can do it. Anything I, I want to do, I can put my mind to do it. And I can do it. And so we raised this mare. And did I do it perfectly? No. Did she have some bad things? You know, did I impart some bad habits or, or, you know, sure. I'm sure I did. But that horse would walk off. If I walked off a cliff, she would be right there behind me. She would do anything that I wanted her to do whenever I wanted her to do it. And we tried all sorts of things from shows to, to reining. She was good at all, everything that she did, but she just didn't like it. Until I decided, I you know, and no, nah, I, I can't. It's not. It's the wrong order. I trained her to pack, um, and then we also tra- tried to train her for reining, and we also tried for to to train her for shows for just versatility horse showing. But her her jam, what she loved more than anything in life, was to pack. I mean, we would clean her up and wash her mane and wash her tail and gussy her up she was freaking sexy that's that's why i call her the ugly duckling because when she matured and she became an adult horse she was flat sexy i mean i you want to talk about that athletic sexy freaking physique she was gorgeous just drop dead gorgeous beautiful mare and her she hated we we would we would wash her mane wash her tail everything else take her to it she could do all the versatility horse um exercises in the arena back home like nobody's business she was good at it we would take her to a show and she would absolutely throw a fit she'd take a te- she'd have a temper tantrum like as in embarrassing just just get out of the arena because she's she's a train wreck and and everybody's looking at you like what the heck did you just b- bring to the show and you're like I'm sorry guys she's having a temper tantrum you can't you can't do anything about it 
You pull out the pack saddle, however. She, she's beside. She's bouncing in the in the pen. Just I, just I don't. I wouldn't even have to proverbially put the 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 halter and lead rope on her. I could just let her out of the pen, and she'd load herself into the trailer. I mean, she lived to pack. And it didn't matter what you put on her back. You could put a, a couch. If you could figure out how to put a couch on the back of her and balance it, good enough. She'll go. And quite honestly, she would take it through the trees. And she would she would figure out how to navigate that freaking couch through the trees. There was nothing that we put on her that she did not carry and carry well. And quite honestly, she was the type of horse that the more you put on her, the more she wanted to work and the more she got serious about it and, and you know, not taking it to the point of danger. We we maxed her out to the point where I was afraid, I, I like, we can't put any more. Well, A, I couldn't reach, I couldn't, the, the, the pack was so tall and the pack was so big and bulky, I, my, it wouldn't, my tarp wouldn't even, for those that are familiar with packing, you've got these pack saddles and then you can put stuff on top of the saddles and then you throw a big tarp over everything to help hold everything in and then you you lash everything down with certain different um, ways of tying the rope and running the rope. I, I Literally, I was, I would have packs so big on her, a load so big on her, bulky, that the, the tarps wouldn't fit and I would run out of rope. I mean, I, I would have to do, I, I mean, just, she was awesome, man. She was a once-in-a-lifetime animal, and and during those days, the glory days, I knew she was special. But when you get to the point when she's old, you're the only thing that she's pretty much known her entire life. Mickey, I'm the only thing he knew at the at, at the stage of the kitten that he was, he he probably didn't. Ha- it's like a baby; they really don't have a memory of 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 much. I, we were the only we were the one solid, one consistent thing he always had. We we were his world. We were there when he came in, and we were there when he went out. Same thing with Annie. Twenty two. I think it was, what was it? Twenty two years. I think. We we were her world, or we we were everything. And when you when you bring them up, and then you have to stand there, and you have to take them across that. You take them for their last walk across the pasture while the vet's standing there, ready to put them down. You don't realize how special those good days are until you're through them and on the other side, and then it's too late because it's already gone. All you've got is the memories that you sit back and you look back and you and you you cherish the days that you had and you completely forget about all the shit days and all the problems and everything else that was going on. Why the hell am I talking about this? Because because it's relevant. It's relevant to what I just got done with and and. The, the important part for me that it was resonating with is 
with that show. It really did. He, Ricky Gervais just crushed it. It, it has to. It's going to have to be one of his masterpiece, legacy pieces of work. And and to be honest with you, it's to me. I think the value of it right now, Ricky Gervais could probably walk away and not be in the public light ever again, and it would be a good ending. Like, I mean, this this could be his mic drop to where he just, I'm satisfied now. I'm out. And and I think a lot of people would sit back and be like, yeah, hell yeah, dude, and just fist bump. Shake your hands. Salute. Yeah, good job. <clears throat> and to wrap it up with that song was was perfect. And and I say this because when you're young, especially for and it, as we tie this into youth hunts, I want every parent to be just taking as much video, as much as many pictures. As you can with your kids, with your loved ones, your pets now. Because there is going to be some day when those good old days are gone. And it's going to be faster than you think. And and I and I, I, met, I alluded to this a minute ago about the youth. When I was younger, I knew... I was in a good place. I knew I was having fun. Now, in the moment, you're going to deal with the shit as well. There's going to be goods and bads and uglies and and stress and and complications and things going on that's going to cloud your judgment or your ability to recognize what's going on around you and to appreciate, truly, truly, deeply appreciate what's going on around you. But I can tell you with age, and that's the curse of age, I think, The curse of age is that you get to see both sides now of the good old days, if you will. You know, that Jordan Peterson, it, that was one of the most revelatory things that, uh, you know, that I, well, one of, one of the many revelatory things I learned with Jordan Peterson. You know, his his biblical series when he went through Genesis and talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the significance of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, growing up as you know in, in the church in a you know in a very religious family, you know, I was very familiar with Bible stories and I was very familiar with what was taught in Sunday school and church and everything else, but I never got the level of significance and, and depth from my Sunday school teachers or my the, any of the pastors that I, I grew up with than I did in Jordan Peterson's biblical series. Just just the, the critical analysis of, and you can find that on YouTube if you're interested, and I highly re- recommend watching every single one of them because they're just it's incredible. Re- whether you're a person of faith or not, uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly insightful. But he breaks down, and not from a religious standpoint. He just breaks down from a, a human psychology standpoint, and a, and a um, yeah, there you go, a human psychology standpoint. He breaks down these stories. He breaks down those those verses. Breaks down what the message is, and he and he provides a, a, a deeper level of understanding that I think many people have ever gotten. 
and and the knowledge of good and evil, you know, everybody thinks that oh, with Adam and Eve, that you know, Eve took a bite of the apple and gave it to Adam, and Adam partake of the apple, blah blah blah. Now they've sinned, quote unquote, and and now they're they're you know, because they they partook of the knowledge, the the tree of of knowledge of good and evil, now they will. In many people's inter- in, in, in you know interpretation or at least understanding was, oh well now they're not going to be able to live in paradise. They're they're not going to be able to live in perfection and with no strife and no hardship and, um, you know Eden. You're living in Eden now. Now they're going to have the snakes. They're they're going to have the pain. They're going to have the the pests and then the weeds and they're, they're going to have to struggle with life. And I remember being taught, oops, being taught when I was growing up, that was the point of, you know, because they sinned against God that, well, now they're going to have to struggle through life. It's like, no, no, that, that's that. Okay. Maybe that's part of it, but the true significance of knowledge of good and evil is not that now you're going to experience quote unquote evil or hardship or whatever. If we just, let's just leave it at evil. It's not that, you know, now God's not going to protect Adam and Eve from any evil. It's that now, not only are you going to experience evil, both good and evil, but you're now you're going to experience evil, but here's the more important part. Yes, you're going to experience it. You're going to feel it. You're going to have to suffer through it. You're going to have to be strong through it. You're going to, to some people are going to succumb to it. Some people, evil is going to break them. That's half of it. The other half of the significance is you have knowledge of evil. You know what hurts you. And now you know how to hurt others. You now know how to inflict evil. You now have the temptation to be, to exact, to perpetuate, to inflict evil. You now have the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. And you are going to have to wrestle with that every day of your life. And that, for many people, is torture in itself. I think in a similar way, getting older, and again, I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm, I've, 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 I'm at an age now where I've had experiences where I'm looking at events in my life from both sides now. And man, I mean, it helped. It beats the hell out of the alternative, you know. 
not getting older. But the older the, you get, the more of the backside of those events, those, those, those memorable and meaningful events in your life, the more of those, they, they just become <clears throat> a greater increasing proportion of your life experiences and and, and th- that that show did a phenomenal the 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 song and I'll let you look it up and I was I wanted to incorporate it into this but uh, the audio into it but I know I know they'll flag it and I know they'll yank it and so probably many of you won't even hear you know because because it'll be a copy they'll they'll claim it as be a copyright issue it'll just kill it but I mean, if you look, you go through the lyrics of that song. It's just, again, maybe some of this for some of you it means nothing. And and I, and quite honestly, I hope that. I I I really do. I, I just it just hit me now. I, I really hope that because that means that you're young and naive, and and you you haven't experienced the other side of it yet. And so, which I'm I'm glad for you because you're you're living in those good old days right now, and you might not even know it. But for some of you, like me and, and others, and others of you that are younger than me that have had to deal with this, and, and some of you that are much older than me that, that, that have had to deal with this, you know, once you come to the other side, that's when, it, that's when that realization hits. And you go through the lyrics of the song. <clears throat> I'll just read them. So again, this is it's Joni Mitchell, J-O-N-I. Is how you spell the first name, Joni Mitchell. And the song title is Both Sides Now. Rows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. But now they only block the sun. They rain and they snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow, it's cloud illusions, I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. Moons and Junes and Ferris wheels, the dizzy dancing way that it that you feel, as every tale as every fairy tale comes real, I've looked at love that way. But now it's just another show, and you leave them laughing when you go, and if you care, don't let them know, don't give yourself away. I've looked at love from both sides now. From give and take and still somehow it's love's illusions that I recall. I really don't know love. I really don't know love at all. Tears and fears and feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. Dreams and schemes and circus crowds. I've looked at life that way. 
Oh, but now, old friends, they're acting strange. They shake their heads and they tell me that I've changed. Well, something's lost, but something's gained in living every day. I've looked at life from both sides now. From win and lose. And still, somehow, it's life's illusions that I recall. I don't really know life at all. It was a perfect it's a it's a it's a phenomenal song. When we're young, you know, as the song says, you look up and when you're a kid, you look up in the sky and you look at all the clouds and you you imagine ice cream castles and you you imagine feathers and all sorts of things that are that, that the clouds are these magical, wonderful things. And then we get older and <clears throat> they just rain and snow on us in a literal sense and they block the sun and then in a figurative sense it's the clouds in our life that get in the way of us doing all the things that we quote unquote would have done we look at love you know when you start you're young and you're you know, Walt Disney called it. You know, I think it was what was it? Twitter painted. You when you're when you're young and you're just you're you're enamored by everything new and wonderful about another person, and you 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 just can't even you your entire world is consumed by every thought and every sound and every smell that of, of them, and and then later on, you're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through pain, disappointment despair rejection and you're going to be able to you're going to look at love from both sides of the coin just like life so what the hell has this got to do with our youth hunts I can't tell so I grew up in a very large family I've been around kids my for a very large percentage of my life lots of kids I love kids uh, Kelly and I decided not to have kids for ourselves for personal reasons, um, which it, it was one of those things that uh, it was it was it was a decision that was made, and it is what it is. But that doesn't take away my love, you know, for kids and, and being around kids and, and inter- interacting with kids. And um, <laughs> I love our youth hunts. And I, now, and I, when I say I love our youth hunts, let me qualify. And, and this is this is for you parents out there, the parents that want to get their kids into hunting. There are there are going to be. Well, actually, let me. I, actually, I just thought about it. There's actually three. I was going to say there's two, but no, there's actually three. There's actually three categories of kids that that engage early on in hunting. There are those kids that absolutely 
consume everything about hunting. They love everything about it. They just can't get enough of it. It's who, and I don't mean just hunting, but it could be fishing as well. You know, a consumptive use outdoor lifestyle that resonates with them at an early age. I mean, like early, early, early on where they just can't get enough of it and they want to consume every bit of it. And they are the ones that are pushing the parent let me go hunting with you. Let me go hunting with you. I want to, you know, get, I want to go on and hunt. I want to take my hunter safety. I want to, you know, go shoot clay pigeons, you know, shoot with the 22. And the kid is the one that's driving it. And the parent is the one that's, that's throttling back the enthusiasm, not throttling it back. Just like, again, with the horse reference, just you're, you're on the reins. You're just, you're just checking them just a little bit. You, the horse, you want the horse to go. You want the horse to, to be in energy, but you just, you're just, you're just checking the 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 velocity and the runaway enthusiasm, and keeping it in a, in a an appropriate controlled manner. That's that's there's that type of child. There's the the flip side though is there's those kids that want nothing to do with hunting. They they really don't value hunting. It's not their jam. They don't care. Um, it's it's just something that that they do that they're they're involved in because the parent wants them to be involved with hunting the parent has developed this ideology this uh, this this value set number one that they they want their kid to be involved with hunting and then they've created this illusion in their mind that yeah 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 my kid wants to hunt like i do and so i'm going to get my kid into hunting i have taken i i've and, I, and I've engaged with all three of these, what's what's going to be three, I've engaged with all of these type of parents. So the, the first parent, I watch these kids come into camp, and again, it's it's everything that you can do just to contain the kids, the child's, the youth's excitement, involvement with, with what's going on. Flip side, the other ones where a parent shows up in camp, and the parent is the driver. The parent is the one that's like, oh yeah, my kid's this and my kid's that and my kid's this and this and that and my kid's that. And meanwhile, I look over the kid and the kid's got his his face in a phone. Uh, he's playing uh, video games and and the you can't, it's, it's like pulling teeth to get the youth to even engage talking about the hunt that they're literally sitting in right now that they're 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 going to be engaged in the kid is completely ambivalent they're there simply because their dad mostly has said their dad wants them there i can't tell you the number of of people i've guided where the father has shown up in camp and said i want my kid to blah I want my kid to have his first elk before he's 12. I want my kid to have his first whitetail buck before, you know, he's, you know, whatever age. I, I want my kid to have uh, the fir- his first Grand Slam or, or World Slam of turkeys before the age of blah, blah, blah. And, and the entire conversation with that parent is the parent wants these things and so the parent uses the child to be the the mechanism by which the parent achieves a certain goal. The the child the, the the youth couldn't give two shits. 
That sucks. Those hunts, the those hunts suck. Heart, they they heart they they break my heart because I'm going to engage that that child. I'm I'm going to try to educate them and teach them and mentor them and 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 show them why their dad again I'm I'm uh, 99.99% of the time it's a da- a father that is running this show I'm going to try to do everything I can do to impart with them share with them educate them on this is why your dad is so excited this is what your dad wants you to experience and I w- I want to show you this and help you foster because most of the time those type of parents show up and they're so checked. They're either sitting behind the video camera or they're so checked out on, on, you know, what's going on around them. They're oftentimes, they're not even engaged with their kid. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a suck scenario. The third type is kind of halfway in between where the parent loves hunting. The parent wants to, wants to, to, to share hunting with a kid the kid doesn't even care about hunting. All the kid cares about is, I finally have a chance to spend time with my dad. Again, I'm gonna, it's 99.99% of the time, this type of parent, uh, this type of youth hunter engagement is with a parent that's driving this. They... That parent could have take that, taken that kid on a golfing trip. That parent could have taken them um, camping. That parent could have taken them um, fishing. That parent could have taken them to their work office place for three days. And that kid would have had the same value of that experience because it wasn't the experience of the activity that was going on. It was just simply, I get to spend time with dad. Which that just breaks my heart because what the hell's going on at the home life where the kid is so freaking hungry for interaction with their parent, their their father, that it doesn't matter. I don't care if you told me we're going to go to the local farm and we're going to sh- shovel shit for three days. I'm happy because I'm with my dad. Again, it breaks my heart. And I've, I've guided those hunters, those those youth hunters, and I've, I've had them in camp. And those are fun because, again, the kid is there. The kid wants to be with dad. The kid wants or be with, quote unquote, be with the guys. They finally, it doesn't matter that we're on a hunt. The kid finally is included. The, the kid finally feels like he's a part of the guys, the, the adults, the grownups. He, he now belongs. And it's not the hunting that they identify with. It's, it's that belonging and that acceptance with people that they idolize, they look up to. And so those those hunts can be fun because the kid is engaged. He's like, okay, this is what my dad does. This is what my grandfather does. This is what the guy, the, the hunting camp does. And I, I, I want to do this. And they do because, because they know their dad likes it and they know their uncle likes it. They know their grandfather likes it. And again, in the... 
they could, those type of youth hunts can be fun, but oftentimes I look and, and I'm the one driving the mentorship and the instruction and, and the engagement with that child or, or youth hunter because sometimes the father or the uncle or the grandfather is so selfishly, and, I, and I'm not meaning that in a pejorative way. Maybe I need to rephrase that. They are engaged and this this happens mostly with turkey hunts because turkey hunts are easy for to get kids involved with. The father or the uncle or the grandfather is in the blind with us. It's it's them, the the kid or the youth the youth hunters, and then me because all of our hunts are are I'm with you. I I go with you. It's it's a guided hunt. I I take you. I'm physically with you in the field and we go out and we hunt turkeys. Decoy, call. I sit in the blind with that third type of youth hunter and the youth is absolutely on board. They're just locked in and they're excited and they're breathing heavy because this is the moment in which they get to be like those, again, it's usually men, male, components of their family that they idolize but then i'm the driver of the mentorship i'm the driver of the instruction getting behind the gun when to shoulder when to shoulder the gun getting behind the gun okay taking aim take safety all that because why because usually the dad or the uncle or the grandfather is sitting behind a video camera and they're just watch they're they're just like videoing they're they're a spectator they're just there to get the video In the first case and in the third case, the kid wants usually wants to be there. In that second case, oftentimes the kid doesn't want to be there. Youth hunts, man, there's a lot of people that don't like youth hunts. I, 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 this is just being brutally honest. There's a lot of outfitters and guides that really don't like taking kids. Why? Because they're a lot more work. They are they're slower, they're louder. Um, they're not, they don't have a lot of the intuitive knowledge of hunting dynamics to know what to do, when to do it, why to do it just intrinsically to help you as you're moving on the landscape. Um, they're less sure of themselves behind their, uh, many are less sure of themselves, especially when the adrenaline starts going and then, and it's, again, we're talking about our turkey hunts and, and the turkeys are standing in front of them and they're, and they're their chest is, you know, their hearts pounding out of their chest and the birds kicking the snot out of the decoys and not, you know, the, most of the kids are used to sitting down behind a 22 or maybe their 20 gauge shotgun and, you know, shooting bot, you know, can't tin cans off of a rail or, or shooting, you know, like the, like the, the dad that was just here, you know, go out and set up clay pigeons out on a dirt bank at 20 yards and sit behind the shotgun and bust some clay pigeons and, so when you're in the blind and it's time for them to shoot, you know, it, it takes a little coaching, especially for the young ones and the, the, the early, ex, you know, the, the early experienced kids. So there's a lot of outfitters that don't like that because quite honestly, a lot of kids aren't going to be successful. They're going to make too much, too much noise at the wrong moment. They're going to move uh, too much at the wrong moment. Uh, they're, they're going to miss when, you know, they had a good shot opportunity. They got too excited. And, and so 
for whatever reason, maybe it's I, I, I it probably does have to deal with my, you know, history with you know just being around kids and, and loving kids, you know, my entire life. So I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy that. But when I outline these three different types of youth hunters, first and foremost, for the parents, you need to look at you getting your kids involved with hunting from both sides now your side and your value set and and what you look for what you look at and, and dream of for you and your family and you know probably when you you know for for many uh, probably when you even first thought about having kids you know all of a sudden your mind drifts and the daydream drifts to the fantasy of going out hunting with your kid at some point and becoming that team you know where you and your kids are out there on the landscape and you're just out there just crushing it, you know, hunting and, and fishing and hiking and just both having that same level of love for the outdoors. But the flip side is, is you got to also put yourself in your kid's shoes. Um, every Everybody, you know, I talk about personality all the time. Every kid's personality is going to be different. Everybody, Every kid's value sets are going to be different. And quite honestly, how you engage them in your everyday family life is going to mold how they perceive their engagement with you and their value set for the same value sets that you have. So it it just, it's not about just, I want to take my kid hunting. It's going to be about how you develop a relationship with your child. I don't care if it's a boy or girl, um, this particular family, the Mathesons, I can honestly say I, I, I love that family. And I mean that, I, I don't mean that in a light way. I, I love that family. Um, they've become almost like almost like family, just, you know, as, as much as a, a client um, can be. They're just a freaking riot. They're, every one of those kids is just incredible. And, th- and that's an incredible statement to the parents because the parents have instilled the time, the love, the instruction, the care, the involvement with their kids from day one to where their kids are a they're they're a, they're a cohesive unit that genuinely enjoys moving across the landscape year in and year out, day to day, week to week, month to month. They enjoy each other, and they they enjoy the family dynamic and they enjoy the value sets of each other. That comes from a very early on upbringing and mindset by the parents uh, and, and instilling it's a lifestyle. It doesn't have, it, it, it goes beyond discipline. It goes beyond education. It goes, it, it, it goes on. It, it becomes, it's a commitment that the parents have made to make their children an absolute high priority and high valued asset within the daily dynamic of that parent. I don't know if that makes sense because there's other parents and this is not, I'm not criticizing the parent because I, 
listen, I made life choices for myself. I, I, I've, I've gotten numerous private messages or emails over the years where people are like, man, I would love to have your life. I'm so jealous. You know, you get to hunt and fish all the time and be out in the woods all the time. Blah, blah. Okay, you, you, you see the highlight reel. Don't judge your behind the scenes with my highlight reel. Because yeah, I I have no I I really don't I I mean I can't say it. I've said this before. Anybody that tells you that they, they you know they have no regrets, they, you know I I live life life with no regrets. You're full of shit. You're full of shit, or else you're 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 either a liar or you're not thinking that hard. Because there's plenty of things that if you spend some time and you think about it, that you'd look back on and you'd be like, man, you know what? I missed it. I missed this. All right, I missed the boat here. I should have done that, or I could have done better here. Above, and and not that I wish I did better. We all wish we did better. But at the time when you were engaged in whatever it was that you were engaged in, whatever decision you made at the time, if at that time you had a base level of knowledge and experience and a value set and you maximized your decision making off of that at the time, low level information and value set and and experience, you made the best decision that you could have at that time. So you can't look back. You shouldn't, I don't think, look back on that time and, and say, oh, I regret I didn't do better. No, you did. If if And if you did do the best you could do at the time, then you did do your best at the time. Now you're a different person. You have different values, maybe, or not even different values. You have a different level of experience. You have different uh different things you can pull from. So, okay, maybe now you have a different knowledge base from which you could pull from to where you would have made a different choice, but you're not at the same level. You're not in the same spot. So you can't compare what you're, what, what you would do now to what you did back then and say, Oh, I wish I did it. But, but we all know those times and periods where we were, when we look back on our life, we were saying, you know what? I did have, I, I did have, I did have the resources. I did have the knowledge to do things different that would have been better for me, but I, but I, but I missed the mark. I was lazy. I was selfish. I was, I was, I was greedy. I was short-sighted. I just didn't, I didn't pay attention. I had the knowledge. I had the ability to do better, but I didn't. I just missed the mark. Those are the times when you can look back and you say, yes, I can regret that. I, I can regret the, it might be a small, minor regret. Just a little, I wish I had done something a little bit better or whatever. I look at some of these parents, like again, the family was just here. Those kids, it's, I've had, well, four of his kids now except for one i think the one i don't know if if, if that maybe the one maybe the the their one kid doesn't value hunting as much but the, at least four of the kids two girls and two boys everything from well i took the 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 two girls when they were i think the first one sadie was 14 i think at the time it was a it was a brutal turkey hunt it was cold that season that year it was brutally cold and just miserably rainy like it was raining so much and because there was so much rain 
All the vegetation, and they came out later in the season. So all the vegetation was tall. The winter wheat was like two feet tall. And these kids, these guys are short. All, their entire family is short. But the, all the kids are just like, they're like teacup humans. They're, they're like, like, they're like miniature humans. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're just tiny little guys. Just naturally tiny. <laughs> they're just so, they're just, they're just so wee. So, when you've got someone who's literally like four foot tall walking through two foot tall winter wheat, think about that. You're walking like half your body through just wet grass and it's literally 34 degrees out in the morning and it's blowing and raining. It was miserable for two days. Or excuse me, all three days. That little girl was up at Krakow every morning and she was, here we go, I can't wait to go out and go hunt. Of course, she gets in the blind. She's going to fall asleep. She's going to crash just like any kid does. They're going to get tired. They're going to, you know, some of the patients may wear thin, but every single morning, every time we went out, she was ready to go. It was, we did not drag her to the field. She was ready to go. And when I say she was ready to go, she's carrying her own stuff. She's grabbing decoys. She's jumping in the truck. She when when I grab all the decoys, we she's grabbing genuine eagerness. That comes from an entirely whole scale attitude attitude and disposition from the family lifestyle and dynamic. And then I've had those kids where Every day we wait, every day we go out, they're late because the kid didn't want to get up. The kid didn't want to be there. The parent has to bring video games um, and make sure the iPhone has an extra charger because the kid is just going to sit in the blind with, with a, with an iPhone. Now I'm not saying, trust me, kids are bring snacks, bring games, bring whatever, because yes, they're, their attention span is going to be different than an adult. But when the kid only is there be to satisfy what the parent to satisfy what the parent wants them to do. And literally when the turkeys are coming in, they couldn't care less. And literally it's a hey, hey, get ready. Get oh, okay, let me let, hold on. Wait, wait, let me pause my game. Don't don't turn don't Kill! I, I don't don't close out the game because I, I I just put a pause. I don't want to ruin my score. Put pause on that a minute. Okay, okay. Do you want me to shoot him now? Yeah. Okay. Bang! Bird goes down. They just grab their video game. They pulled the trigger because their dad wanted them to. And then the like I said, the third type that that kid's just invested in it because. That's what dad does. That's what uncle so-and-so does. That's what grandpa does. And I look up to grandpa. I look up to uncle so-and-so. I look up to dad and I want to be a part. I want to do something for dad, for uncle so-and-so, for grandpa. So he sees and values me as someone he wants to spend more time with. parents you need to look at your kids and you look at your values and you look at hunting and, and and your youth hunts 
from both sides now. Your side and your value set, what you want for your kids. That's all that that is going to have that's going to stem largely from what you've instilled in your kids, what you've shown them, the example that you've laid out for them in your daily life with work. Are you are you going to work every day and then coming back home? Even I don't care if you work out of town because some of these parents work out of town and they still have this type of relationship. Is your relationship with your kids such that it's a invested relationship at an early age? Or is your relationship with your kids, I have kids so that later on XYZ. And I'm going to do my work. I'm, I'm, I got to work and I got to do these things and I got to make this and I got to do that and I got to have this and this career and this. I got to do that. And, I got, and, and someday me and the kids or, or, and, and then on these days or uh, this and, and, and in the spring we will do this or, or in the fall we will do this. What are your What are your kids' value? Every kid's going to be different. Every kid's going to have again. I go back to personality. You're going to have to. You have to. You should have a relationship with your kid to where you know their personality, ins and outs. What makes them tick? What makes them not tick? What 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 they they just jive on and what they just resist doing or or just do. Um, just they just wrote just just do it because you told them to and then judge your engagement with them based off of that you you can't discount what they value um and and prioritize your value set it, it's not going to work now i'm not saying to not take your if your kid doesn't necessarily intrinsically show propensity to want to go hunt, I'm not saying don't take your kid on a hunting trip, because sometimes exposing the the child or the youth to a hunting trip is what they're like. Oh shit, this is awesome! Yes, I do want to do this, and then it becomes a part of what they want to do. So absolutely take them on one, but. I would really like to know, I mean, I don't know if anybody's done any statistical analysis of it, but I would really like to know what the long-term retention is of youth hunters in future hunting as they become a young adult and an adult on their own, independent adult. When their father or uncle or grandfather or whatever just forced them into engaging in hunting but really did not much else beyond that um, in that kid's life I, I I liken it to and I know and, and understand listen listen I know some of you parents are in there like, oh, well, you don't know, you don't have kids. And you're right. You know what? I don't, I don't personally have kids. I don't personally have kids. But again, when I say I have grown, I, I have spent my entire life pretty much around 
a shit ton of different kids. No, I don't have your day-to-day insight on your child. But I can damn well tell you I have some insight on multiple different styles of parenting and different value sets of kids. And I can see a difference vividly. When the parent is so, again, that's the thing, is you're so close to the fire, you can't even feel it anymore. You, you've you spent all your time with your kid to where you do, you're numb to some of what you what, what is literally being manifested before your eyes. You don't even see what's before you. I do. I can see it clear as day. Sometimes it breaks my heart. Other times I sit back and I'm like, the Mathesons. I look at that family and this is where I will sit there and I will say, I'll admit it. I look at that. I'm like, what it must be like to have that in that dad's life, that their parents' life. What it must be like to have five kids that are some of the most incredible kids. So, so this 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 week, okay, Mathesons have been coming out for years. They will always have a place to to hunt with me as as long as I'm doing this. They will always have a place. Carter is the youngest. And he's been waiting for his shot at being able to come hunt. He couldn't. He's seven and three quarters. Do not forget to add that three quarters. He is seven and three quarters. He's going to be eight, but he is seven and three quarters. He could not wait. He was every morning. Five o'clock in the morning, he's up. Five thirty, he's in the truck and he's out. He's carrying decoys. He doesn't have to. I, I mean, literally, I'll, I, I'll. Dad's gonna carry the chairs. I'm gonna carry all the decoys and the calls and everything else. And the kids, all they need to do is just walk. We'll have the guns. We'll, we'll carry. No, 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 no. Hell, hell, no. They're gonna carry a decoy. They're gonna grab it. I want to carry something because they were in it, man, in it. Jace has been with me a couple of years now. He started his. He came out last spring. Got his first turkey. Came out this past winter for deer, got his first whitetail, and then he came back out this year and he got his second turkey with us. But Carter got his his first. I mean, he was just eager, just 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 hungry for it. And then this the two older sisters, Sadie and Allie. They, I mean, same thing. Even when they were young, just hungry for it, couldn't get enough of it. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway. Um, it was a blast, man. It was a freaking riot. Yeah, I I kind of look at it, for, and, and and again, the the difference is again, you might not even notice it as a parent, but as a guide, I can tell you, I I watch it. So when when I'm in the blind with with Todd or a parent like Todd. You can clearly see the dynamic between the child and the father or the uncle or the grandfather. 
you can clearly see the history of in, engagement and tutelage and education and interaction that they've had previously up before this point. You can see, you can watch the father that's really not watching what's going on. I mean, they're watching what's going on outside the blind and, and they're watching everything and they're just as excited, their hearts pounding and they're just, they're getting ramped up. But you watch them shift that focus over to their child and they're coaching, okay, is your shoulder is 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 you got your gun up to your shoulder? Yep. Is it is there tight? Yep. Yep. I got your cheek down. Yep. Are you looking down over this barrel? Yep. Okay. I'm gonna turn. You know. Okay. We'll get the safety off. Okay. Yep. And and you can watch them just absolutely invested in that child, coaching them through the whole thing. Where I really don't even have to do. I oftentimes. I'm literally sitting there doing the call and I'm watching the bird and all I'm gonna do is call out to the dad. Here you go. There you go. Ready. You know, if the bird's moving, I'll be like, wait, 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 wait. So dad's focused on the kid. I'm putting audible plays in dad's ear what the bird's doing. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, here you go. Yep, yep. Take him now. Take him now. Because the bird stopped. He's stable. He's standing there, whatever. And you watch the dad coach their kid through it because the dad is invested in the kid and is invested in the in the val in the the experience that their kid is wanting to have. Other parents will sit in the blind and they'll be sitting behind the video camera, and it very clearly comes into where now again I understand this is my job and I don't mind doing my job, um, but. You can clearly see the the difference in dynamic <clears throat> between the parent and the kid, where the parent is more interested in what's going on outside the blind and not really checked into what the kid is doing. They're they're excited once the kid pulls the trigger and the bird hits the ground, and then dad's outside the blind and the dad's running over to the bird and dad's hoisting the bird and dad's fanning him out. Dad's looking. Dad's the first one to grab the bird. It wasn't about the kid having a hunt. It was about the, the, the dad having a hunt with his kid, having the kid, I don't know how to put it. It was about the dad. It wasn't about the kid. And so I spend up most of, you know, I'll, I'll spend a lot of my time, okay, ready, ready, you know, make sure, okay, are you behind it? Are you, you know, I, I will do all the hands-on um, coaching uh, through the shot. Again, I, I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind that. I enjoy that. I, I, I really do. And I'm good at it. It just I look, I see the family dynamic, and then and then I see the family dynamic in camp, and I see family dynamic at meal times, and and it just there's so many different there's so many different youth hunts. It's 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 interesting. It, it it's it come. I oftentimes equate it to what I see with bird dogs, and I don't mean to diminish what a father or grandfather or dad or a mother or our uncle or mother or aunt whatever has with with whoever they're taking with whatever youth hunter they're taking but it's from a, a relationship dynamic a family dynamic a a unit dynamic it's interesting to me to see the parallels so we run pheasant hunts out here as well um and I've had some people come out with some really high-end bird dogs 
um, that want to come out and, and hunt pheasants and quail. And you can almost, almost every single time tell the difference between someone who owns a hunting dog and someone who has a pet dog that hunts. Meaning, some of the most highly trained, high, you know, like they paid, like people have paid five, ten thousand dollars for this puppy, and then turn around and spend several thousand dollars into getting it professionally trained. And then this hunting dog ends up in a kennel outside, day in, day out, all day, every day. It's outside until the owner comes and they work their dog, whether it's training uh, or whether they go on a hunt. The dog is trained to hunt, and the dog is trained to listen to the the commander of that unit, you know, that their owner. Versus the dog that's a family pet, that that's a that's a that's a four-legged child of that family unit that that lives in the house with them, eats dinner in the house, maybe lays at the feet of them at their dining room table and and sneaks a couple snacks every now and then because that's what you do to the dogs that you have in your house and that you treat as a pet. And then in the evening, you're sitting on the couch watching TV or whatever. They're curled up on your feet, or maybe they're up on the couch with you, curled up, laid half, sprawled half across your body. They're the ones that, as soon as your alarm goes off in the morning, there's a cold nose and a wet tongue just slap, you know, licking your elbow or whatever. Like, hey, hey, time to get up. I need to go up and pee. I gotta go poop, or I want breakfast, or it's time to start the day. We don't want to go on a walk, and 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 those dogs that you take on walks, and you you spend time in the family, and the kids wrestle with them. And then, oh, by the way, you also go out and you train them with a bumper and you train them with some pheasant scent and you go out there and you work some blind retrieves. And yeah, he's your he he or she is your four-legged child. Oh, and by the way, you guys go and hunt as well. It's amazing to me to watch the difference in the dogs with those two different styles of ownership. Some of the most highly trained dogs I've ever seen in my life that are not family pets are almost worthless compared to some of the dogs that are family pets that have been trained even a little bit and and want to go hunt with their pack member the dog sees the owner the the that well their owner as a, a member of its pack it's its family there's a relationship there and there's an eagerness there again i hell my dog is a mutt i mean he's a cross between a, a lab and we have no idea what else he was abandoned on the stinking middle of nowhere Northwest Kansas, he had been running that chunk of real estate for a week because we had tried to find anybody that might have known where he belonged or who his owner was. And, and the people that lived out there that had seen him running up and down the road, they had seen him out there for a week. This dog is, he's phenomenal. 
is he a world champion freaking no he's probably not going to be a world champion but let me tell you something we go out in the field he'll run circles finding birds pointing birds flushing birds especially when it comes to retrieving birds finding those birds that are down retrieving them especially if they're wounded chasing them down catching them bringing them back right to your hand especially in, in, in when other highly trained dogs are just almost worthless I say that because when when you're looking at relationships with your kids and you want to take them out hunting are they something that they know are the kids something that they know you value more than anything that that you are invested in their daily life what happened with you what's going on with school who's your friend how's this going what you how about we do this we want to try that okay we just it's an it's an invest you are you are a unit i don't care if you're seven and three quarters or if they're 14 or 16 18 i don't care do those kids know that you are a cohesive unit and they are valued by you and you are all in on them? Because if they are, if, if you are and they know it, if they show an interest in hunting, man, feed every ounce of that and you're going to have one hell of a hunting buddy for the rest of your life probably. If whatever, for for whatever reason, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not judging anybody because everybody's family dynamics and, and personal experience and job and life, just financial issues, health issues. There's so much stress that goes on in everybody's individual world. And everybody handles it going to be differently. And everybody's got a different, I'm not judging you. I just want you to judge yourself and evaluate your own, your, yourself. Because if, if you... If you doubt that your child believes that you are invested all in on their life, and you know who you know if I'm if I have accidentally stumbled on you. What did I say in a previous podcast, Jordan Peterson? You you want to have a come to Jesus moment. You you really want to improve your life. You wake up in the morning when you're fresh after a good night's sleep. You refresh your feet, hit the ground, and you sit there and you think to yourself, "What the hell is? What am I doing in my life right now that is that is causing me not to achieve all that I could achieve?" You'll get an answer immediately. You know and that your brain will be like, bam, you're lazy. You procrastinate. You don't follow through. You're, go- you're going to get an answer. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be scary. You're not going to like it, but you're damn well going to get an answer because you damn well know what's holding you back. I know what holds me back. 
Likewise, you can sit on your bed and you'd be like, what is the one thing that I could do, that I would do, that would, that would improve my life even a little bit? Bam, you'll get an answer right now. You know in your heart of hearts, in the back of your brain, or maybe in the front of your brain, you know exactly what you're do, what you could do to be better. So for those parents <clears throat> that when you sit up in the morning and you put your feet on the floor and you ask yourself, does my kid believe that I am all in on their life, well-being, their personality, who they are. You're going to get an answer. If, if that answer is, I don't know, or no, or whatever, if you want to take them on a hunt, by all means, okay, consider that. But then consider, okay, wh- wh- why? Wh- wh- what, are, what are you doing? Why? Are you wanting that hunt? Are you, are you wanting, and this is point blank, and people do this all the time with sports, um, theater, music, whatever. Parents that force their kid in a direction so that the parent can live vicariously through their child. Are you wanting to take that kid on a hunt because you want that hunt? You want that particular quote-unquote trophy? And I don't mean that from a trophy, you know, like a trophy deer, trophy elk, or trophy turkey, whatever. No, that, that, that badge, again, you know, I want my kid to have a 350 bowl before he's 12. Or I want my kid to have hit, and I've I've literally, I've crossed paths with these people. I want my kid to have his slam, sheep, big old sheep slam before he's 16. Or I want my kid to have their Grand Slam or World Slam, Turkey Slam before they're 12 or whatever. Is is that your value? That you're using your child as a tool? If, if so, number one, you better find a good guide. A good outfitter. A, 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 an outfitter and a guide that is skilled and has intrinsic value for teaching kids and, and mentoring and working with kids. Otherwise it's going to be, a, it, it could end up being a train wreck. Number one, if you, if you're just, all you care about is the success of that endeavor, um, <clears throat> that particular hunt. But the flip side is, is if you, if you're wanting to develop a long-term hunting buddy, Again, I, I think it's good to want to take your kid hunting, but you need to engage your child and find out, is that something that they are interested in? They might be 
because you hunt all over the world. You hunt all the time and you're working, you're working six, seven days a week. You're working 10, 12 hour days and you're rarely, very rarely ever home. You very rarely ever take vacation days or whatever. So you have limited time with your kids. You spend limited time with your kids or whatever, but your kid just idolizes you. And then they see you take a a week every year and you go on an elk hunt or you you take a week and you go with your buddies off to some fishing, whatever it is, this, this trip. And, and they just are desperate to be with their dad. They're desperate to be with their uncle or grandfather. And, and they, they want to be with you. And so when you say, do you want to go on a turkey hunt? They're like, yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Go man, go. But don't go for you. Go for the kid. G- invest yourself in there. They are hungry to be there with for you to be there with you and prove themselves for you and 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 gain their worthiness for you and your attention. Give it to them. Give it to them. And you will foster a relationship in those limited times that you have. You may, again, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm not saying that you're doing some parenting thing wrong. It just may be the reality of your life that you have limited time that you can engage with your kids and it sucks and you know it and you don't like it, but that's the reality. So when you do engage your kids, make it freaking about them and invest 110% in their experience, not yours. Again, find an if you want to go on a hunt and you're going to take a guided hunt, find somebody that's that that can specialize and <clears throat> excuse me values um, mentoring kids. But <clears throat> you need to spend some time and involve and invest yourself in that child's experience, not yours. Don't get lost behind the view the viewfinder of a video camera. If 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 you if that's what you want, if you, if you want that memory. Then what you do is you did you find somebody that, that can take you on a youth hunt and then you hand the guide the camera and say ca- just point the camera at just capture everything downrange. Actually give the guide the camera and you invest in your kid. Don't make the guide invest in your kid while you just take the memory because I'm telling you there's going to be a time. There's going to be a day when you're going to be able to view that situation from both sides now. You're not going to remember what was going on in the blind. You're not going to remember what was going on on the hunt. You're going to, all you're going to remember is whatever you captured in that, view, that, that viewfinder. I can tell you. 90 plus percent, 99 percent of the epic shit that happens on a hunt is behind the viewfinder, in the blind, in camp, walking to and from your sets, whatever. And then if if you're if you're if you're just if you desperately want to have a hunting buddy. And you desperately want your kid to value hunting the way you do. And you want to take them on a hunting trip. But whatever reason, whatever family dynamic, whatever value set that your child has, whatever, they're, what, whatever if they are just not into it, 
hopefully, this is just my opinion. And as unqualified as maybe you feel that it is, just take it for what it's worth and just process it. Reject it if you want. But consider. If you're trying to connect with your kid and hunting is just not their thing, simply taking them on a hunt isn't necessarily going to just move the needle in the direction of, of you developing a lifelong hunting buddy. Quite honestly, what I've seen, maybe you're better off Hopefully you know your kid. You know what they really like and what they like to be involved with and and what their passion is. Maybe rather than starting off taking them on a hunt that you value, maybe for a, a trip or two or three or a year or two or three, maybe what you do is you figure out what they love to do, what they value. Figure out something that you can do with your child that fits within their wheelhouse, their value set. You don't have to... You you might know nothing about that. Maybe they like acting, or maybe they like singing, or music, or maybe they like skateboarding, or maybe they like video games, or maybe something. Maybe they like... Uh, yeah, yeah, video games. Or what. Maybe it's one of those things where you say, okay, this year... We're going to go to Comic-Con. Take take them. Maybe they like comics or whatever. Find something that they love to do. That's what you do. Use that opportunity to bond with your kid in their value set. Have them teach you about all the things that they're passionate about. Develop that relationship there. And then once you have that relationship... Then roll into, okay, how about let's go on a hunt this year because I want to take you on and do something that I like to do. You very well may find that taking your kid on a hunt that way actually moves the needle in the direction that you're hoping for as far as developing a lifelong little hunting partner. Um, Anyway. It's about two hours. <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice. <clears throat> um, our hunt was awesome, man. The Matheson family is, um, they are, they, they're just, as a guide, as an outfitter, they're, they're the type of family that you just, again, that's why they, they'll, they'll always have a place to hunt here because they're just a riot. The kids are hungry to hunt. They are hungry to learn about it. They are up at Krakow every morning. They're up late at night until they're told to go to bed. Of course, they're going to crash out and sleep in the blind and snore, and they're going to start getting cranky, and they're going to goof around. They're going to make too much noise at times, and they're going to be you know, slower going to, all those things that young kids are going to be. And even teenagers. I remember on my hunts with my, my cousin, Jesus Pete, when he, there we go. There's another Jesus Pete. I need it. You know what? I, sorry, segue. I need to put a jar. Oh my gosh. I need to do that. I need to put a jar in here. And every time I say Jesus Pete, I need to like put a quarter in there or something. 
That's actually not a bad idea. That's funny. I just, that's not a bad idea. I ought to, I need to, all right, I'll tell you. I want people's suggestions. I I need to have a Jizo Pete jar. And every time I say Jizo Pete, I need to put some quantity of money in the jar. Keep it reasonable. Like a quarter or a dollar, maybe. Top, dollar tops. Because I, I I I won't be able to afford it, Okay. But every time I say Jizo Pete, I need to put something in that jar. And then at like maybe at year's end, we just take that the money that's in that jar and we do something with it. Send me your, uh, there you go. There you go. Send me your suggestions. What do you think? So Jizo Pete, there you go. Um, anyway, I lost my, I'm sorry, I got, anyway, they, they, they're, they're just hungry for it, they, you know, they're gonna, they're going to make noise, they're going to get cranky, they're gonna be goofing around, they're, they're, it's, it's gonna be a kid, or, or, oh, sorry, with my cousin, um, he started, he, when he first came out, when we killed that giant bull, his, his first elk ended up being a 356, the 355, 356, or whatever bull, just, that kid was locked in, I mean, he, when I say locked in, that kid was freaking impressive. The the kid knows how to hunt. He's he intrinsically I mean he it he was one of the best hunters that I have ever been on the mountain with as far as his innate abilities, his skill set, um thought processes, how we ju- I mean it was incredible. Fast forward a year and then especially 2 years and all of a sudden now he's in his 16, he's 17 and, uh, women and girlfriends are in the picture. And all of a sudden he's like this brain dead, you know, lobotomized, just testosterone. It was, I love the, I love the, I love the kid to death. And we had a, him, his dad and, and me, we had a blast just laughing but quite honestly laughing at the expense of him because he was just clueless he's so just wrapped up in girlfriends and girls and all the stuff else going on that he his brain was just not in the elk hunt and it, it just was funny um so that all that stuff is gonna happen it's it's gonna happen but it was a it was it was a it was just a flat blast i mean the birds were a little tough again this year I, and again here we are two hours into it and I haven't even gotten to what we, what our birds have been doing. So in the past, I, I, I talked about this maybe in, in the past, but, um, I remember the days when I would go with my buddies, um, March 25th starts the archery turkey season in Nebraska. And we would go March 25th, boom, we were out in Nebraska, uh, running full decoy spreads and, and arch, you know, just bow hunting birds and just slack, just just laying them down. I mean, birds coming into decoys, beating the piss out of decoys, just displaying just all sorts of just awesome engagement. And then we'd turn right around and, and back then Kansas would open up for, at that time, adult and youth opened up at the same time. Youth obviously could use a shotgun or any legal method to take. Uh, adults at the time, uh, April 1st through roughly say plus or minus, uh, April 13th, 14th, 15th. Um, that was that was archery only. So we would roll from Nebraska, hunting several days, go back home, do laundry, do whatever, and literally roll right back to to Kansas for archery opener there because 
the activity decoying calling it was identical the birds were just beating the piss out of decoys you could find birds running all over the place multiple times coming into your decoy set just displaying and fighting and beating the piss out of decoys and just it was just fun um so when we started running the hunts here i really did like to stack my youth hunts as early as possible because it was easy i'm not gonna lie to you it was easier because you had the first crack of the birds and the behavior cycle of the birds it was more predictable to pull birds into those decoy spread and literally have mature toms spend many many minutes in front of your in front of your blind at 15 steps or quite honestly jake's sitting in front of your decoy spread for hours at a time to where if you wanted to have a kid have a a chance at shooting a bird hello there you go well no lie these past two years this early part of the season has just been brutally tough man i mean they just don't want to play they just they just really have not exhibited the same type of aggressive behavior towards decoys that they have in the past. I mean, quite they've been ambivalent to them. Or if they see the decoy spread out at a distance, they'll they'll start making their way. They'll they'll come in, but when they get close, they just hang up out off to the edge or off to the side, or else they'll come in and just kind of I don't know and just kind of wander just wander right on through, not engaging the decoys or if they do they just kind of come in they check things out kind of passively and look and then they just you know they linger and and hopefully if if the if with a youth hunt they're johnny on the spot and, and the bird comes in with a rain within range rather than waiting for them the birds to put on a show beating things up it's like no he's not that that bird's not in, in engaging these decoys in any sort of uh, proactive way he's just simply coming and checking things out and he's about to leave so you better pull the trigger now and so last year they came out same family uh, about a week before they were out now so a week earlier and we had uh four tags and uh, no joke this is the first time in my history um we did not have a hundred percent shot opportunity we literally struggled to finally get one bird on the ground. Now, with that being said, the way the hunt was structured, it was the two girls uh, and then Jace. And the two girls were, well, Sadie was going to use the crossbow. And she was first up to, to shoot. And then it was going to go Allie. And then it was going to go Jace. And so Allie and Jace were going to use a shotgun. Um so we were trying to get Sadie a bird first with the crossbow. And, and the, the thought process was if multiple birds come in, she shoots one with the crossbow. And, and, and I've taught them where to shoot. And especially now that I run just headshots. Um, we Anyway, thought process, shoot one first with the crossbow. It's quiet. Bird goes down. The other birds spin around, look at what's going on. And by the time they figure out what the heck's going on, either Allie or Jace can go bang or bang, bang, and they can get a double or triple out of that set. It's happened before in other hunts. So that was the whole thought process of trying to get Sadie, her bird, with the um, crossbow. Well, it 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 just flat wasn't happening. I mean, the birds just did not want to commit. We had birds come in, but they would come in and they would not settle long enough and, and be steady enough for any of the kids to feel confident to take a, a, a high percentage shot opportunity. So they, good kids, they, they are well-trained, just opted not to take a shot. And so now 
granted, they're the and, and when I say shot opportunity, the birds were there. Obviously, yes, we called birds in, but but they but the birds didn't settle. So yes, the birds were in front of us. We called birds in. The kids saw birds. We had birds there, but but the birds never really gave us a good shot opportunity. So they didn't really present a shot. So we struggled, and finally on the eleventh hour of the last day, um, we went. I mean, we we again we were set up. We were trying to get one um, with a crossbow, and and these birds finally came in and engaged the decoys, and were beating up on the decoys. Started beating them up, beating them up, and they were moving everywhere, moving everywhere, moving everywhere. Sadie couldn't get it; they just wouldn't settle. And then all of a sudden, you just like you snap your fingers, and the birds are like boom, ba boom, boom, Okay, we're out, and they were just leaving. And it was like, oh crap, they're not gonna stop, assess the decoy, or stop and strut, or stop and just you know look at the. They, they didn't, they didn't stop moving at all. And so finally, it was like, okay, this isn't gonna happen. Jace had the shotgun. Birds start looking like they're going to move away. And I'm like, we need to shoot one. And Jace made an awesome shot and just crushed that bird. Boom. Um, so we were able to get one out of, out of the, out of the, uh, four tags that we had. Cause dad, will, you know, I, I, we time it to where they can, you know, dad picks up the first day of adult archery. So the kids get their tags done, filled, and then dad has a day to hunt. Well, this year I, I I told him to come. Oh, but oh, not quite a week later, but essentially a week later because drought, everything else, bird movement, uh, just numbers of birds we had. I'm like, you know, based on these past couple of years, you know, last year especially, I'm like, why don't you come a week later? Because it seemed like last year, as the season moved on, the better it got. The more engagement the turkeys were giving to decoy spreads, uh, the longer they were engaging with the decoys. So I'm like, well, why don't you guys just come a little bit later? So that's what they did this year. And again, we had birds, uh, birds were coming in, but just like last year, this early part of the season, I don't know what it is. I don't know if the birds are running early and they're just settled in with their hens or they're running late and they're with hens, but they're not competitive about, I I don't know. I haven't sussed that out yet because it's just confusing as shit for me, but same thing happened. These birds well, I mean, we can get on the roost. We know where the birds are. They're gobbling the heads off. We can get set up. The birds pitch out. They are out there doing their thing. We can call the birds in. The birds come in and they just, they see the decoys and they're like, eh, I don't care. And they just, you know, again, we're talking youth hunt. So either they just, they, they pass out of range of the youth, you know, a 20 gauge shotgun and the, what the kid feels comfortable with, or they just don't settle and, and offer a shot or they just come in from a weird angle. And so now you know, from an adult standpoint, you know, you know, if, if all of a sudden you need to, okay, the bird's coming around the backside of the blind. I need to put a crack in this back window and just bring the shotgun up around offhand, stick the barrel through offhand, shoot back behind the blind. And, you know, many of us adults can be able to pull that off, but for a kid, you know, especially seven and three quarters, um, no, they're not, no, they're not going to be able to do that. You want the bird 15 to 20 yards, smack dab, or 20 yards, smack dab in front of the blind, standing there like a stone so I can coach him through and be like, bam, there you go. So the first morning, sure enough, birds come in. It was beautiful. Um, bird came in, settled long enough for uh, Carter to take a shot. And this happens, but, you know, I think Carter was excited and he was kind of peeking up over the, the barrel of the shotgun. And so he wasn't settled the way he needed to be settled. And the, the barrel of the shotgun was probably pointed a little uphill. 
and shot, and the the shot went straight over the bird's head. Boom. Just clean miss. Bird took off running. Just there he goes. Boom. Missed opportunity. Oh, well, you know, missed shot. It was fun, but dang it. It was disappointing, you know. I mean, you you find you get a bird to come in, and you, you really want to have that success, and it was a missed shot. Oh, well. So the rest of the day, we go out. We we try to get on birds, blah, 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 blah. Um, that evening, get into a situation where, again, we get a bird to come in. Um, but uh, uh, likewise, it, it was, you know, what in this particular situation, the birds didn't really come into the decoys. The birds didn't even really want, they responded to our calls. They were coming into the calls, but as they got close, the Jake start, a, a group of Jake started fighting. And because the Jakes were fighting, the gobbler come running in. And as the gobbler come running in, he basically put himself, he, he came over, checked the Jakes out, saw the Jakes were fighting, and then he just decided to turn and come up the hill and stand there and look at the my Jake decoy and our spread and was hearing me call. And this is where, you know, again, the good, you know, Todd did a great job of, of working with his son and, and spending time on the shotgun, behind the trigger, and, and shooting clay pigeons, and just shooting different stuff out in the field to where Carter had it, man. He he knew the fundamentals. And so as that bird's coming in, we we tell Carter, okay, because we had it on a tri- – so the, the gun's on a tripod with a, a triclops, the, the clamp that, that holds the gun. So the, the gun is in a clamp. The gun and the tripod are set situated where it's right there, perfect height for him. He just needs to grab the, the, the grip shoulder the gun and just aim the gun. He doesn't have to hold it up. He doesn't have to steady it on a bipod or a monopod or anything like that, but he's behind the gun. He's aiming the gun. He's shouldering the gun. It's the the tripod is just supporting the weight of the gun. Cause again, the kid's the size of your little finger. It, it, oh my gosh. He's like three foot, four inches high, whatever it is. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, 45 pounds, I think is what he weighs. Um, but this bird comes in and, you know, like the first one, the bird come in and settled. I mean, the bird was strutting and was standing, you know, the bird was settled and finally, you know, stood up a little bit and, you know, poked his head up. And the second bird, no, the bird, that second bird comes in, comes up the hill, stands on the plat, stands on the little rise, like right in front of us, like 20 yards. And literally Todd is coaching his son. He's like, all right, are you, you know, buying the bead? You, okay, you looking down the bed? Yep, you, you got the bead? Yep. And I just audible, I'm like, get ready. Get, I'm like, there. the bird comes up and stands bolt upright with his head up and he stops and pauses, he's dead still. And I'm like, there you go. Boom. I mean, I didn't even have to say, go ahead and take the shot. I was like, there you go. I think, I don't remember if it was a there you go or I said right there or whatever. I all I, Whatever it was that I said, it didn't even clear my throat and that could boom. And I mean, I, one of the hashtags that I share on for Turkey season is bouncing wads off of waddles. Um, again, what is the row hunting resources tagline? Call them to your toes. I like getting them in close. Now I, there's with a bow, get them freaking right point blank. Now with a shotgun, there can be, a, a, a you know, you get them too close and your pattern is so dang tight. You, it's actually like, the pattern's so tight that it's you can miss easier than if the bird is like 20 yards or 25 yards or whatever and let the pattern open up a little bit to give yourself a little bit of, of wiggle room there. So bouncing wads off of waddles, oh, like the pure, 
like the 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 literal definition of it. I I literally went over the bird. I think every pellet hit that bird square in the freaking noggin. Um, that bird just just he just crushed him. So I jump out like I always do. I run out there and I grab you know and I always just run out there grab the bird anchor the, just make sure the bird isn't going to get up and flop off. Or I've had times where you know they shoot and maybe they they pulled the trigger a little bit and one pellet catches them in the brain or or catches them somewhere in the head and just you know throws them for a loop for a second but all of a sudden a minute or two later they get they regain their bearings and all of a sudden they get up and they just take off running so i always especially on any bird i always do but especially for the youth hunts i'm going to bail out of that blind immediately and i'm going to go run over and grab them by the head and lift them up because i, I you know i don't want to i'm not going to grab them by the feet everybody that's experienced enough with with turkeys knows you don't run up and shoot or after you've shoot shot a, a, a turkey especially with a shotgun in the head or any headshot, you don't run up and grab them by the spur, by the leg, because at some point they're going to start flopping. And when they flop, the amount of energy and force and torque that they can put on their body, they will literally take that spur and just rake it right through the middle of your palm, right down to the bone. I mean, it, they will lay you open. So I know it's going to be bloody as all get out, but I always run up and grab them by the head, pick them up by the head. That way they can flop all they want. They can they can do all they want, but the torque that way, there's nothing that's going to tear in my hand. Number one, number two, they don't misplace a feather. So if the dad wants to do a, a fan mount or a back mount or a full wing and back mount or he wants to do the full body mount, there's not a feather out of place. It makes great pictures and all the all the all the above. So I run out, I bail out, jump over and grab the uh, bird. The wad is laying like right there at the feet of the bird. I mean, the bouncing wads off of waddle, w- bouncing wads off of waddles, man. Carter, seven and three quarters of years of age, just absolutely hammered this awesome, awesome big Tom. Um, so woohoo, awesome he redemption. Next day it's Jace's turn for for round two. And the funny part, again, this is where I love youth hunts because just watching kids interact with, especially the kids that just eat up hunting like they do or they can. So last year, Jace gets his first bird. All right. So Carter wants to, he's got to, he's got to beat his brother, right? He, you know, you can't let his brother be the one that gets a bird and he doesn't. So that morning he shoots and misses. Oh, crap. Well, Jace last year took one shot and killed his bird. Now Carter, he had a shot and a missed. Pressure's on. You know, big brother's won nothing, and quite honestly, little brother's got the miss under his belt. So he's got to he's got to justify. So, or he's got to represent. So the when the bird hit when his bird hits the ground. Now the other thing about Jace's bird last year was it legitimately was a double bearded tom. I mean, I could think, I, I think probably across my lifespan, oh man, it's probably on one hand, maybe, maybe I, I could count them on two hands. Maybe, maybe it would actually be, but I, off the top of my head, I think it's the number of double bearded or triple bearded Toms that I've, I've actually been involved with taking probably can be counted on one hand. I mean, it's not that they're overly common. Um, it's happened, but it's it just not overly common. And so Jace's bird last year legitimately 
You can go back to my Instagram post and see it. It was a legitimate double bearded Tom. And so, of course, Jace is going to love, you know, he's going to lord that over his sisters because his sisters both have killed multiple birds. Now he gets he gets his first bird and, well, that's fine that you guys have killed your birds, but, but, but I killed a double bearded Tom. So Carter, I get the bird. They they bail out of the, the blind. Carter runs out. He's ecstatic looking at his bird. It's a beautiful bird. For of course, is a double beard? <laughs> no, it's not a double beard. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you just was like, oh, all right. Well, I still have a bird. My brother's. So we're tied at this point. We're we're, we're tied at this point. Uh, <laughs> bird for bird. So anyway, it. Oh, we're 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 running into. Uh, what the heck? I'm sitting. What have, what what did I even touch? I'm sitting, oh, updates on computers. I don't even know why this, I don't even know what this is. So I'm sitting here recording. I've got my computer open. All of a sudden, as I'm talking, all of a sudden, this pop-up shows up on my computer with a calendar and weather and stocks and all. What? I don't care about any of it. What? Where did it? And there's not even anything I can do to close it. What? I don't care. I don't, whatever. Whatever. Computers. Oh, I hate things that try to think for me. Anyway, so Carter's on the board. He's like, okay, absolutely. So next day it's Jace's turn. And of course, bird fine we we do finally get a bird. Or Jace finally gets a bird to come in. And it was it was a rodeo of of a hunt. I mean, birds were camped behind the the blind for geez oh Pete hour. Jeez, there you go. Clink, clink, add a quarter. Um, for hours behind the blind, and, and they finally had to turn around and open the back window and weasel it through, and these birds were chasing each other around, and, and Jace made an absolute awesome shot. Another bouncing wads off the wad. Oh, and that's the other thing, too, is so for, for Carter, he wanted, to, he wanted to come away with a souvenir from Kansas. Absolutely. Turkey, that's fine. Obviously, I got a turkey, but I want a souvenir. I, I want I want something unique souvenir from Kansas. So I told him, so I handed him his, the wad off of his, his shell. I'm like, there you go. There's your souvenir. I said, very rarely do people actually bounce the wad off the waddles of a turkey. And I said, buddy, you at seven and three quarters years of age, you bounced a wad off of his waddle. And so he's like, heck yeah. He had the spent cartridge and he's, and he had, or the, yeah, the, the, the shell and the uh, shotgun shell. And he had the wad. He's like, yes, this, this is awesome. So his brother shoots, his brother shoots a turkey. Turkey goes down. Go get the turkey. First thing. Is it a double beard? Nope, it's a single beard. Yes. <laughs> he didn't want to didn't want his brother to get another double beard. But then of course his brother goes over. We we pick up the bird and I look and the the you know Jace's bird's got I don't know. We didn't I we were we were trying to get the bird on ice and it whatever. I didn't measure him. But I'll bet you the, the the spurs have to be an inch and an eighth long or whatever. So they were really nice spurs. So they were bigger spurs than than Carter's bird. So of course there now here we go. Here's the rival. Well, who got the I got the first bird. Yeah, well, I got the bigger bird. Well, mine weighs more than I don't know if yours weighs. Well, I got bigger spurs. Well, yeah, well mine last year had double beard. Well, it doesn't count because we're not talking about last year. We're talking about this year. Oh, and then dad, dad missed. So this is squarely in adult archery now. So dad had the bow. 
the deal was dad would, and I, and we talked about it since Jason, it's dad has never killed a bird yet. I mean, he's been out here, I don't know how many years now with his kids and we've always got the kid or have focused on getting the kids their birds. But, um, dad is yet to kill a bird period anywhere in the United States. He still hasn't killed a turkey. So I told him, I said, God, you know, I, I said, Todd, seriously, listen, you know, Jace has killed a bird. He's got the shotgun. He knows how to handle the shotgun. I said, you need to go sit in the blind. And if a bird comes in or multi, especially if multiple birds come in or the bird comes in and there's other birds in the area, don't have Jace shoot it with a shotgun first. You ought to shoot it with a bow, smack him in the head. We do for my operation. Now it's, it's headshots only. Um, we just can't afford wounding loss anymore. We just don't have the birds to support it. Not that I want any wounding loss anyway, but it just sucks because my policy is you draw, if you put an arrow through the body of a bird, that's the bird that you get to hunt. That's it. That's it. That's your bird. You filled your tag. As far as I'm concerned, within the confines of my hunt, um, we'll continue to look for that bird to try to recover that bird. And and if we go out the next day, we're going to look for an injured bird because that's your bird. But if we don't recover that bird, then you're not shooting another bird with me. Um, if you go to public land somewhere or what, I don't, whatever, you can do what you want. But if you run an arrow through the body cavity of bird, that that's your bird. And so, uh, so with wounding and with the, with the bird population being lower than what it used to be, and it's just, it's just not that high out here. I don't want to run the risk. I, I, we, we can't afford wounding loss. And I, and I, it just sucks to just watch a hunter, even if you just shank the, sh- I've done it. I, I've done it. Um, where I know exactly where I want to hit in the body. And I, I pulled my shot two inches and there goes the bird running and it's a fiasco. Try to recover the bird. Um, so I just decided, you know what? Forget it from now on. Everything's headshots. Okay. Whether you want to use the, you know, the, the head chopper style broadheads or not, it's, it's a headshot. You're, you're taking a headshot. That's it. So I told him, I said, Todd, you need to take a bow. And the first bird that comes in, you just freaking anchor him. Get get your bird under your belt, number one. And and then it's silent. None of the birds around there are going to be the wiser. We have the chance to get the other birds in, and then Jace can kill his, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's exactly how it unfolded. The first bird to come into the decoys comes around the backside. Again, not aggressively, just comes in and, and stages behind the decoys and stands there. And just excitement does what excitement does. He shoots and he goes zing, right over top of the bird's head. Bird takes off running. He's just fine. And dad missed his top. So Carter's loving this, of course, because dad missed. You know, he got his. You know, Carter missed and then got one. Well, dad missed too. So Carter doesn't feel as bad now because dad missed as well. But now Jace gets one. So it just the dynamic of watching kids that just are hungry for hunting and, and engaging with their parents, their mentors, the parents engaging the kids in that camarade, that, that cohesive unit. It's just, it's just fun, man. That this, this, these are the type of hunts that I do that remind me, this is why. This is why I do what I do because it's just freaking fun. Does it suck getting up early? Yeah, I hate getting up in the morning. It's cold. It just, yeah, it, it's fun when you have these type of haunts. So we ended up two out of three tags filled. Um, we did spend the, the third day 
trying to get dad his bird and we had multiple birds come in uh, not not within bow range not well yeah if he'd had a, if it had been shotgun season and dad had the shotgun th- yeah there would have been dead birds done end of discussion but um with a bow at a reasonable range that he felt comfortable with and and where the birds were trying to adjust windows and everything with four of us in a blind no um they, they again the birds just didn't want to commit to the decoys they they would cut i mean hell they came 300 yards across this field came all the way to 30 yards and just got up to it and and i don't know what they saw they it's a wide open field they saw the deep the blind the blind's been there for five days almost a week now they they saw that they, they know the deep the blinds there they saw the decoys they heard me calling they came across the field all the way um they got to 30 yards and saw something, some, I don't know what it is, but they all just kind of stopped, went upright. They they were off to the side of the blind, so there was no shot opportunity. And then the hens just, it was a group of hens and two big mature toms. And I thought for sure the toms were going to at least come in and display between their hens and the decoys, which would have given them a shot opportunity. Nope. The toms just hung back. The, the hens stopped, picked their heads up, kind of looked around, and then just kind of like, eh. And they just went back to feeding and just turned around, went 180 degrees and just pecked and just fed like over like 30 minutes, just fed their way, well, probably 20 minutes, fed their way back away. They just didn't like what they saw and gobblers did not want to engage the whipping boy set up at all. And so there goes that opportunity. And then the rest of the day went out and chased some other birds and the same thing. They just, just didn't, they, they wanted to gobble. They just didn't want to commit and so um we had a hundred percent shot opportunity um ended up coming away with with both of the kids um getting their birds and it was a blast it was fun but all right two and a half hours that's long enough i'll kill it i don't want to bore you to death but i hope you enjoyed it i just i wanted to share that beginning i know it's a little different but hell i at this point it is what it is that's that's kind of who i am and that's what this podcast is going to be it's going to be kind of random from time to time but um yeah if you have not checked out that tv show uh afterlife ricky gervais i i recommend it i really do um i found i found a lot of value to it and like i said it just freaking wrecked me i was a waterworks every single time ever almost every single episode uh, but it's it's the type that is worth it. You know what I mean? It's it's not one of those one. I mean, I told Kelly, I'm like, man, I I almost want to just tomorrow night just start the ser- just start it over and watch it again. It it was it was, I don't know. I liked it that much. So hopefully, if you choose to watch it, I hope you find value in it as well. I hope um, whatever you know. Hopefully, the discussion tonight. Um, has some value for you and yeah take a kid honey get them out there we can have discussions about recruitment retention and react or recruitment reactivation and retention whatever however you want to put it um recruitment retention and reactivation later and whether or not we need more hunters in the field i think that's a valid discussion but i i me for me i do i think so yes so kids are a great way to do that if your kid is finds a value for it 
Now, sometimes you may have to take your kid out at least once to see if they have a value for it. But if we're really honest with ourselves, like I talked about before, I think you can determine whether the kid actually has a value for what you do and what you value or not. And if they don't, maybe, just maybe, consider identifying their value set, engaging in one of their activities first, develop that relationship, develop that trust, develop that that communication and bond, and then segue into the things that you value, and you might find a little bit more success with that. Um, anyway, thanks, everybody. I'll leave you for this week, and uh, our next hunt comes up midweek. Um, got the next group coming in. This one is three adults. Um, yeah, so we shall see how things go. It's still brutally dry. It sucks. It's windier and all get out. Fire danger is stupidly high. We've had some massive fires in Kansas and Nebraska. Smoke is everywhere. Dust is blowing everywhere. Um, we desperately need some more rain. But the birds are gobbling. The birds are with hens. Many of the birds that I've been engaging with, at least out here, seem, seem to be locked down with hens already. So keep that in mind. Maybe you start off with your full, what I call the whipping boy setup, and evaluate. If the birds want to be a little cagey they don't want us coming in and engage maybe you yank that strutter just go with a jake and some hens but um quite honestly we got to the point where we started running no decoys i mean already early this this early in the season that's that's normally a strategy that you do later in the season but already i i got to the point where we just i'm not even putting the decoys out just let them come in and seek us out so um if you're headed out to kansas or nebraska or wherever you're getting ready to go out hunting colorado i know your season's getting ready to kick off um yeah be flexible adjust watch the behavior of the birds take stock in what they're doing how they're behaving and adjust your decoy spread from there but from a calling standpoint again i'm going to go back to stick with the fundamentals and uh yeah go have fun and if you have a chance to go take a kid honey we'll talk soon bye